But this morning, uh, if you have your Bible, you can turn to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1 is we're continuing our series on the Holy Spirit. And in Acts chapter 1, this is, of course, the first chapter of the book of Acts, which is the follow-up to the Gospel of Luke, written by the same man, Luke, this, this incredible, skilled historian, writes Luke and he writes Acts to give an account of Jesus' life, but also what happened after Jesus left. And so right here in Acts chapter 1, we're at the crux of that moment. Jesus is about to leave, and he gathers his disciples to him. And I want to read to you verses 4 through 9. And it says this, Jesus says, while staying with him, so Jesus has already died, he's buried, he's resurrected. For 40 days, he's hanging out with his disciples. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem. He says, stay in Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with or baptized in the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So Jesus says, don't go anywhere yet. Stay in Jerusalem. I have something for you. Verse 6, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? So they're still wondering, like, Jesus, is this, is this when you're going to reign and rule? Is this when we're going to be, kind of become who we think we should become? And he said to them in verse 7, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power. That's the word we're talking about this morning, power. But you receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. This is the ascension of the resurrected Christ. Jesus gathers his disciples together, and he knows that he's leaving. You know, parents, when you're leaving for a trip, and you're trying to give last-minute instructions to your kids, really important things, take out the trash on Tuesday, make sure you lock the doors at night, don't burn the house to the ground, right? Like, really important instructions. The last thing you say is often one of the most important things that you're gonna say. Jesus gathers his disciples. He has one more chance to say something to them, and these words that we just read is what he chooses to say to them. So it's important for us today as his disciples. And Jesus basically says to them, the mission that I have for you, the work that I have for you, which is to continue his life's work, he's entrusting his disciples with everything that he's done. He says, the mission that I have for you is so great that you need a power that's just as great. You need a power that matches the mission. And he says here, you need the Holy Spirit to come upon you, to fill you. You need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit before you go out and try to carry out the mission I have for you. In other words, he's saying, I have something for you to do, but first, you have to wait. And so they wait. And let's look at what happens in Acts chapter 2. They go and they stay in Jerusalem. They wait. And it says this, verses 1 through 4 of Acts 2. When the day of Pentecost arrived, and we'll talk about Pentecost in a second, they were all together in one place. The disciples had obeyed God's word, which is really important to even receiving what the Holy Spirit has for us, is to be walking in obedience to God's word. Verse 2, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Okay, so this is kind of, this is an interesting story, right? This isn't sort of like your average run-of-the-mill sort of story. Some very unusual things are happening. They're praying, all of a sudden the sound of a wind, all of a sudden little things of fire appear over their heads, and the next thing you know they're speaking in languages 
that they don't have any reason to be able to speak into. This is kind of a strange story. We want to talk about this because this is what the Holy Spirit is doing in this moment. And I want us to take a moment real quick, and I want us to notice the significance of the fact that the outpouring of the Spirit here is on the day of Pentecost, the day of Pentecost. Pentecost is also known as the Feast of Weeks. It's a Jewish religious holiday. And because it's, it's called the Feast of Weeks because it's exactly seven weeks and one day after the Passover celebration. So actually, last Sunday was Pentecost. Uh, June 9th was Pentecost. It's 50 days, seven weeks, one day after Pentecost. And so it's called the Feast of Weeks because they're saying this is how we know when Pentecost is because we know when Passover is. And what's interesting is that there's a connection between Passover and Pentecost, the 50 days, and for us, I think the similarity is this. There always has to be a connection between the work of Jesus and the work of the Spirit. And when we think of Passover, we think of what Jesus Christ did as the true and better Passover lamb who came, the lamb who was slain from the foundations of the earth to pay the price for our sins. Jesus did that, and now 50 days later, Jesus wants to baptize his disciples in the Holy Spirit. And just like there's a connection between Passover and Pentecost in the Jewish calendar, there's a connection for you and I. We can't have one without the other. You can't pursue Pentecost if you haven't first experienced the benefits of Passover. The other thing about Pentecost is it recalls one of the greatest events in history, which is God's revealing of the law at Mount Sinai. And when God gave the law at Mount Sinai to the Israelites, it wasn't because he was thinking of ways to ruin their lives and make sure that they're always miserable. He was doing it because he wanted to form a people for his own, a people, a unique people. And so what we have here is, at the giving of the law, God is forming a people. Here on Pentecost, at the giving of the Spirit, he's saying the Spirit is necessary for you to be formed as my people. So we have this connection. We need the Word and the Spirit if we're going to be the people of God. But the other thing about Pentecost is this. Pentecost is known as the Feast of Harvest. It represents the first fruits gathered as a result of the labor of those who completed the spring grain harvest in ancient Israel. And so Pentecost, always in the mind of the Jewish person, was associated with the springtime harvest. And what's really important for us to notice here in Acts chapter 2 is that God, Jesus doesn't just want to give the Holy Spirit so that we can have goosebumps and feelings and speak in strange languages and have all these great moments and experiences. There's purpose with the power. You, you know, this time of the year, people are enjoying the weather and driving around, and every now and then you'll be waiting at a stop sign, and someone will pull up to you in their car, and their stereo system is like loud enough for the whole village to hear, Right? Sorry if that's you, but you know, you're, you're, you're parked right next to them, and it's just like, I, I look over them sometimes, and I go, I'm thinking, that's a lot of power, but for what purpose? I want to be like, you know you're like, you're sitting this far from your speakers. Do they really need to be that loud? I understand it's the experience, it's like expressing yourself, but sometimes you look at people like, that's power without what seems to be purpose. Jesus is not saying, I want to give you power just so you can feel powerful, so you can feel spiritual, so you can have an experience. Jesus said, I want to fill you with my Holy Spirit. I want to baptize you in my Holy Spirit. Why? I want to give you power so that you can be my witnesses. And it's really important in our church and in the church at whole that we don't pursue the power without the purpose. Because what's the point of the power if there's no purpose. And so here Jesus says, wait for the power, wait for the Spirit to come upon you, wait to be filled with the Spirit. These are phrases in the New Testament that are interchangeable, phrases like baptism in the Holy Spirit, receive the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit comes upon you. What I want to do this morning, and, and, and admittedly up front, this message is going to be a little different than certain messages. We're going to look at a little extra text because I want us to get some biblical understanding on what happened here on the day of Pentecost, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, 
and they spoke in tongues. And I realized that if you didn't grow up in a Pentecostal church, the whole idea of speaking in tongues is probably very strange to you, alarming to you maybe. Maybe you actually don't believe that that's something that people should do today. And, and that's fine, you can be a part of this church, but I want you to understand a little bit what scripture actually says about this day, Pentecost, and what it can mean for you and I. And so what we're gonna do is there's five different times in the book of Acts when somebody is baptized in the Holy Spirit. Four for sure. The fifth one is a little bit debatable, and I'll talk about that when I get to it. And I wanna look at these five real quick, and I'm gonna make some points, and I'm gonna create, we're gonna have some time at the end just to pray together. Five times, I believe, in the book of Acts, somebody is baptized in the Holy Spirit, filled with the Spirit, this receives the Spirit, the Spirit falls on them, the Spirit comes, whatever phrase you want to use. Three of the five times, explicitly it says they spoke in tongues. Two of the five times, it's not explicit, but it's probably implicit. And I just want to show you this, because there is a connection in Scripture between receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit and receiving what we would call a heavenly prayer language, which is a language that we use, and we'll talk more about this, to pray to God. All right, the three times that it's mentioned in the book of Acts where it's tongues is mentioned explicitly, the first one we just read, Acts chapter two, right? So it's, it's very clear. They're waiting in the upper room. They're in Jerusalem. They receive the Holy Spirit, and they speak in tongues. They speak in other tongues as the Spirit gives them utterance. And some people make the argument, and these are Christians and people that I would consider brothers and sisters in Christ, but some people make the argument, no, you get it all at conversion, all of it. There's no separate baptism in the Holy Spirit experience. Everything at conversion. The problem with that view, and I respect people who feel that way, but the problem with that view is in John chapter 20, verse 24, the disciples have already received the Holy Spirit. Jesus, who's resurrected and appears to the disciples, in John chapter 20, is it 20, sorry, verse 22, in John chapter 20, verse 22, it says that Jesus breathes on the disciples and says, receive the Holy Spirit. And most biblical scholars would consider that like a conversion moment for the indwelling of the Spirit. Every believer, the Spirit of God dwells within. So that's an indwelling. But the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we're not talking about the indwelling of the Spirit, we're talking about an immersing in the Spirit. So the disciples, these people who are waiting in the upper room, they've already received the Holy Spirit, they're already saved, they're already righteous before the Father, but Jesus says, still I need you to wait for something additional. Okay, and then this is a different situation here. This is completely different where the spirit falls upon them. So that's the first time that we see it and tongues is mentioned explicitly. The second time is Acts chapter two, or sorry, Acts chapter 10. And this is an interesting story that deserves its own message, but it's, it's a story about a man named Cornelius, a Gentile, uh, who ends up becoming, really these are the first Gentile believers. This is really what opens up the kingdom of God to the Gentiles. And I wanna read to you, it'll be on the screen for you, Acts chapter 10, verse 44. It says, while Peter, Peter, of course, was an apostle of Jesus, was speaking these words, he's, he's talking to Cornelius and his household, these Gentiles. It says, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message or fell on them. The circumcised believers, the Jewish people, who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. See, there was a mentality that this was for the Jewish people, this sort of salvation and experience of the Spirit, but it couldn't possibly be for the Gentiles. And here, God is shaking the paradigm to say, I want the nations, not just a nation, I want the nations. And so, uh, verse 46, it says, or verse 45, the circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. Verse 46, for they heard them, what were they doing? Speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, 
surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. So here we see they get baptized in the Holy Spirit before they get baptized in water. So you don't have to do it in that specific order. You don't have to get baptized in water and then baptized in the Holy Spirit. Sometimes people get, get converted, saved by God. They get baptized uh, by the Spirit into Jesus. At the same time, or a moment later, they get baptized by Jesus into the Spirit. Verse 47, surely no one can stand in their way of being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with him for a few days. And what I want us to notice is this. First off, they spoke in tongues. Secondly, Peter says in verse 47, they received the Holy Spirit just as we have. What is Peter referencing? Well, I can tell you what he's not referencing. He's not referencing John 20, 22, because Jesus did not appear in Cornelius' house, breathe on them and say, receive the Holy Spirit. So what is he referencing? He's referencing what happens on Acts 2, on the day of Pentecost. So for Peter, here's what we know. For Peter, the apostle, for him, an indicator that someone had been baptized in the Holy Spirit and received the Holy Spirit was that they had received it in a similar form that they had on Acts 2, which was speaking in tongues. On Acts 2, a lot of other weird things happened. The sound of a wind, fire. That stuff's not repetitive in the New Testament. That doesn't become the pattern. The one thing that becomes consistently the pattern we'll see is that they speak in other tongues. So that's the second time. The third time is in Acts chapter 19. Paul is in Ephesus. And let's read these verses together, beginning in verse 1. It says, While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them. Now listen to this question. This is important. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, no, we have not heard there is a Holy Spirit. Now it says in verse one, it describes these men as what? Seekers, unconverted, outsiders, pagans? No, it described them as disciples. These are disciples of Jesus who already are trusting in Jesus, but Paul's got a question for them. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believe? Now, that, that seems like an unnecessary question because everybody receives the indwelling power of the Spirit when they believe. Paul's clearly asking about something else. This is something different. And they said, no, we haven't even heard about this baptism of the Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, John's baptism, baptism water, was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. And on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, which is sometimes why we place our hands on people when we pray, because we see this in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they did what? They spoke in tongues, and they prophesied. So these are the three times in the book of Acts that when somebody receives the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it explicitly says they spoke in tongues. Now let's look at the two times where somebody is baptized in the Holy Spirit, but it doesn't say explicitly that they spoke in tongues. Acts chapter eight, beginning in verse 14, it says this. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. Now Samaritans were not, and Jews did not get along, but this is part of Jesus' words. You're gonna be my witnesses, right? Jerusalem, Judea, and even to Samaria, your, your ethnic enemies and to the ends of the world. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers. These are, these are Samaritan believers that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come or fallen on any of them. This is the exact same terminology. It's the exact same Greek that Luke uses earlier in Acts to describe what happened at Cornelius' house. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, this is not to discredit being baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Salvation is most important. But again, Luke is saying these are distinct. These are not the same. Verse 17 
Then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Doesn't say that they spoke in tongues. Doesn't say they prophesied. Doesn't say anything. That's why I'm saying it's implicit here. Verse 18, when Simon, Simon is a sorcerer, he's not a believer. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money. And he said, give me also this ability so everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. So Simon's like, this is a cool parlor trick. And I'm a sorcerer, and my tricks are getting old, and I see something new. And, and you just laid your hands on these people, and they just, he saw something. Now, what did he see? They did something interesting, weird, spiritual, mysterious, mystical, unusual. He wanted to purchase that power. It was something very visible. And what I believe he saw them do was I believe he saw them speak in tongues and possibly prophesy. Now, John Piper, uh, he says this about this text. He says, tongues is not mentioned, and he's right. It's implicit, not explicit. But since the language is the same as it is at Cornelius' house, Acts 8.16 Acts 8, versus Acts 10.24, it's likely that the Samaritans spoke in tongues too. So here's, here it's implicit, not explicit. And then the fifth time is the person Paul. Paul in Acts 9.17, he's prayed for by Ananias. The Holy Spirit comes on him. It doesn't say that Paul spoke in tongues. But later in the New Testament, Paul's own writings, 1 Corinthians 14, 18, Paul says, I speak in tongues more than you all. It's kind of a weird thing to brag about. I wouldn't recommend you go around and do that, but we're going to talk next week about why he said that. So what we have here is we have this, we have a pattern. Would, would, would you maybe agree with me that there seems to be a pattern in the text, in the narrative? We have to be careful always about building doctrine and theology on story and narrative. But when there's a pattern, and there's no explanation for why that pattern would end, we have to at least consider the possibility. So in the New Testament narrative, I think we can confidently say this. Church leaders like Peter and Paul recognized speaking in tongues as the physical evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's what they looked for, and when they saw it, that's when they said they've received the Holy Spirit. And that's why some denominations and churches, including the Assemblies of God, to this day still teach that speaking in tongues is the initial physical evidence of the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Now, let me say this. Not everyone agrees with that view. Some people think speaking in tongues is not for today at all. They're called cessationists. I think it's a difficult scriptural position to hold, but, but people I respect hold it. Other people believe, like we do, we're continuationists, which means the gifts have continued for today. They believe that speaking in tongues is a gift, but it's one of many gifts that maybe God may give to some, but not to all, and it's certainly not the indicator that you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. So people do think differently on this. Not everyone agrees with this view, but here's what everyone I think agrees with. The purpose for this power is to accomplish the mission of God. However you think it looks and however you think it works, and I have my thoughts and my convictions and you may have your own, it's always about mission. It's always about the purpose of God to see people know him, to see broken lives be made whole, to see people who are lonely brought into the family of God, to see marriages that are falling apart restored, to see people who have uh, painful addictions be set free. This is why God sends his power. And one of the reasons we know that is on the day of Pentecost, the first text we read in Acts chapter two, when the spirit was poured out on the disciples and they spoke in other tongues, they weren't speaking gibberish. They weren't speaking in the tongues of angels as Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 13.1. They were speaking in the tongues of men. Here's what happened. I didn't say it earlier, but in Acts chapter two, when they spoke in tongues, there were foreigners who were gathered in Jerusalem because they had, they had made the pilgrimage to Jerusalem for the, the feast of weeks. They gathered around and all of a sudden they were like, holy cow, these Jewish people are calling out the praises of God in my language. It would be like me going to Spain 
And the Holy Spirit giving me the ability and the gift, all of a sudden, even though mi español es no bueno, all of a sudden, I'm like, you know, able to fluently preach the gospel in Spanish. That's what happened on Acts chapter, in Acts chapter 2. So what does that mean? Look at what God's heart is. When he poured out his Holy Spirit, it wasn't so the disciples could check a box off their spiritual experience list. It wasn't so the apostles could stand on a pedestal above people who weren't there that day or didn't receive that gift. It was so that the people of the world could hear and experience the goodness of God. You know what's really interesting? I was listening to a teaching on this text. I won't go into it, but if you look at the people that were there that day, the different nationalities and, and regions of the world that were represented, you know what? Those people that day represent areas of the world that to this very day are some of the most unreached people groups when it comes to the gospel. And some of the people groups that are the most antagonistic to the gospel, natural, spiritual, political enemies of the Jewish people, and on that, that's where they live now. That's still that territory. But isn't it cool that on what some people consider to be the birth of, of the church there on the day of Pentecost, that God wanted the nations to hear, even people that he knew looking into the future, they will be the enemies of my people. But this is how much God loves people, that he poured out his spirit so that those people could hear the goodness of God in their own language. He gives them power with purpose. Now, let me finish our time together with just kind of giving some practical thoughts on this. What are some of the misconceptions about the baptism in the Holy Spirit? Because I think there are some. I think there's some misconceptions. And here's the first one. The first misconception, and this is a bad one, please reject this, is that it's necessary for salvation. The baptism in the Holy Spirit is subsequent and separate from salvation, and I believe it's important, and I believe that we should be open to receive it, but it is not necessary for salvation. Speaking in tongues is not a work that makes you right before God. Receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not something you have to receive in order to be right before God. It's also not a dividing line between the Christians that have the Holy Spirit and the Christians that don't have the Holy Spirit. Sometimes Pentecostal churches are guilty of looking at other churches and saying, they just don't have the Holy Spirit. We got the Holy Spirit, but they don't have the Holy Spirit. No, if, if you believe in Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit dwells within you and all of the Holy Spirit. It's not like you get junior Holy Spirit and then you get upgraded to senior Holy Spirit when you receive the baptism. You get all of the Holy Spirit when you believe in Jesus Christ. This is subsequent and separate. It's not necessary for salvation. The Bible talks about three types of baptism. There's water baptism where we're baptized. By the way, we're gonna do that next Sunday here in the 11 a.m. service. You're baptized by a person in water. Then there's the baptism at conversion where you're baptized by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ. And then there's this baptism where you're baptized by Jesus in the Holy Spirit. So it's not necessary for salvation. It's not the dividing line between Christians that have the Holy Spirit and Christians that don't. Here's something else specific about speaking in tongues. It's not something you can learn. You're not gonna go to Ollie's and find a $2 book that calls Speaking in Tongues for Dummies. Well, maybe you will, but don't buy it. Don't waste your money. It's not something you can learn. And if somebody tries to teach it to you, get away from them. It's a gift that God gives. It's not something you can learn, and it's also not something you can make happen. It's something that it's God is a sovereign God who gives the gift as he chooses. It's also, listen very carefully to this, because some of you, maybe you've wanted this gift, so to speak, but you've not received it, and it's become an issue for you. Listen carefully. It's not a sign of God's love for you and his approval for you. God's love for you and approval for you was settled at the cross. This is not an indicator that God loves you or approves you. It's also not even a sign of your, your sanctification. It's not like, I, I know people speaking tongues that need a lot of growth, including myself, you know, a lot of growth. It's not like when you receive this, all of a sudden, like, you're like, you're not struggling with sin anymore. So it's not that. Here's another thing. Speaking in tongues is not the only way that the Holy Spirit prays through people. I believe that the Holy Spirit prays through us three ways. He prays through us through our words, strengthening our prayers. 
He prays through us with his words, which is this heavenly prayer language we're talking about this morning. But also, and I love this about the Holy Spirit, he prays through us when we have no words. You ever been there? No words. You can't even get it out. The Holy Spirit is faithfully praying through you. Your words, his words, no words. Speaking in tongues, baptism in the Holy Spirit is not a reason to feel superior to other Christians. In fact, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, chapter one, or chapter 13, verse one, if I speak in the tongues of angels and of men, but have not love, I'm a clanging symbol. Parents, you ever, uh, you ever have experience where at a, your kid's birthday party, one of your uh, loving family members gives them a gift that you know is gonna cause you pain for years and years to come? Gives them like, I, I don't know why every kid that goes to public school at some point has to play the recorder because it's gotta be about the worst sounding thing I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> and Paul is saying, if you, you could speak in tongues till you're blue in the face, I mean, and they were trying to do that in Corinthians, and next week in Corinth, and next week we're gonna talk about why it was out of order. But if you don't have love, it's, it's, it's terrible to the ear. It, God is not blessed by it. He is not honored by it. There, there are other views on this thing that I'm talking about this morning, and here's, what I, here's my heart towards those churches. Let's partner around the things we agree on. Let's partner around the gospel. Let's partner around what is central to our faith. And yes, there are distinctives about our fellowship and our church, but at the end of the day, that's not gonna be divisive. What's gonna unite us is Christ. So, and then here's another misconception about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that it's the finish line. Once you got it, you're like, ah, oh, beat that game, you know. I got everything. No, it's the starting place. For the disciples, it wasn't their finish line. It was where they started. Listen, our ultimate hope is not the baptism of the Holy Spirit, as important as it is. Our ultimate hope is not speaking in tongues. Our ultimate hope is in Jesus, the person and the work of Jesus. And have, but having said that, I do believe that the baptism is a gift that God gives as he wants to who he wants and when he wants. And I do believe that the baptism of the Holy Spirit matters and it has great value. So let me give you seven reasons why I think the baptism of the Holy Spirit and, 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 and specifically praying in a heavenly language has value for us. And the first thing is this. The baptism in the Holy Spirit is called you read it earlier. We read it earlier in Acts chapter 2. It's the promise of the Father. I love that. You know, Father's Day, today is Father's Day, and I recognize that Father's Day is not an easy day for everybody, is it? Father's Day can be a very difficult day. Maybe like me, you're grieving the fact that your father's not here anymore. That can be very difficult. In fact, just this past week in our church, we need to be praying for the Hotchkiss family. Pam Hotchkiss' brother lost his life. He was a father to two. We need to pray for the Houghton's family. Gary and Steve uh, and their family lost a dad and a grandpa. And then Al Rhodes, just yesterday, his grandpa passed away. I mean, three dads that were here last Father's Day that are not here this Father's Day. I understand that feeling. This is a challenging day. And then for other people, Father's Day is hard because they've struggled to become a father or because they had a terrible relationship with their father. They're estranged from their father. So I understand when I say something's the promise of the father, for some people there's an intuitive response of don't want it. Don't want it. If it's from a father, I don't want it. And I'm telling you, if our heavenly father makes us a promise, it's a good thing. It's the promise of the father. Another reason why it's important is because Jesus told his disciples, you gotta wait for this. I think they were ready to go, actually. Sometimes people look at Peter preaching on Acts 2, and they, they, they give all the credit to the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I think part of it was the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But don't forget what else happened in Peter's life from that moment to when he denied Jesus. He saw the resurrected Jesus. That's a pretty, that's a game changer. He saw the resurrected Jesus, and he spent 40 days with him, and he was restored by him on the beach. So there's a bunch of things that changed Peter's life. But still, Jesus said, Peter, wait, receive this. If Jesus said, you wait for it, then I think we should need it. 
and wait for it. Here's another reason why I think it's important and it matters is because Jesus is the baptizer. Jesus baptizes us in the spirit. Here's what, I, here's what I tell people often who struggle with this. You might be unsure about the gift, but look at who the giver is. You know? Some, fathers, you're gonna open some gifts possibly today, and you may, it may look funny, it may be wrapped funny. Actually, probably not, because you didn't wrap it. Dads are like the worst rappers, but, but it may look funny, it may smell funny, but you're gonna trust it because it's coming from your kid, hopefully through filtered by a, a, another adult at some point along the way. You trust the gift because you know the giver. Erin and I talk about this sometimes. There's different foods that she won't eat, some foods I won't eat. My list is much shorter than hers, as you might imagine. But, but there's certain things. I don't like beets. I'm not a huge fan of beets. I don't understand it. They taste like dirt to me. However, it's just a red, round orb of dirt. However, if the best chef in the world prepared a beet dish for me, guess what I would do? I'm, I'm all in. And she talks about that too because there's certain things that she normally won't eat. But we watch a show and we said, if that chef made a dish with it, I would eat it. Why? Because we trust the skill and the hand of the person who's presenting it to us. So when it comes to the baptism of the Holy Spirit, consider the giver of the gift and don't get hung up too much on the actual gift. It's important because it's clear that there's a connection between the baptism of the Holy Spirit and boldness to be a witness for Jesus. Speaking in tongues, as I said, helps us, when, helps us pray when we don't have words. There's been times in my life where I don't have the words and I find myself very thankful that God's chosen to give me a heavenly prayer language. Speaking in tongues, I believe that when we pray in the Spirit, we pray God's perfect will. We're not praying through our mind and our will. It helps us to pray in consensus with heaven. And then according, according to 1 Corinthians 14, 4, Paul says that when we pray in tongues, when we speak in tongues, we edify ourselves. I don't know exactly how that works, but it's in Scripture, and so all of us can use some more building up. So this is why it matters. All right, lastly, let me close with this. How do we receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit. What if you're saying, this morning, I'm, I'm interested, or I want to know more, how do I receive? Well, first thing, let me say, there's no set formula for receiving the baptism because it's not a formula, it's a person that you're relating to. Well, here's some things that I think we see from Scripture. I'll, I'll give you five, and then we'll pray. How do we receive the baptism? Number one, you have to be a Christian. In Scripture, nobody receives this baptism unless they're first a disciple a follower of Jesus. So that's, that's sort of the prerequisite. Number two, as we read, sometimes it involves people praying for other people, laying hands. Some of you, I, I won't pull the room right now, but some of you were baptized in the Holy Spirit, possibly nobody prayed for you. You don't have to be in a church to receive this. I know teenagers that received it on mission trips and hotels and different places. They didn't come to an altar. They didn't have anybody pray for them. They didn't have any of that. You know, it's not it's something that could happen as you're going to sleep tonight, falling asleep, praying, God, if you want to give me whatever you want to give me, I want, all of a sudden you may find yourself receiving this baptism. Like, it's not, you don't have to be in a set place. God can do it anywhere that he wants. He's not limited. Another thing, how do we receive the baptism? I think the biggest thing is, is we have to keep a heart position that is open to whatever God wants for us, even if we have our own misgivings, misconceptions, and uncertainties about it. God, I'm not sure about this. I'm not super, maybe this isn't even something I necessarily would choose for myself, but God, I trust you, and whatever you want from me, my heart is open to receive. I, I quoted John Piper earlier, who you wouldn't, is not a preacher you normally would quote in a message on the baptism of the Holy Spirit, except this is what I love about him. I read an interview with him, and, and he's not received the, he's not, he doesn't speak in tongues. But here's what he says. Every year, he prays for it, faithfully. He asks, God, if this is the year you want to give it to me, then I want to receive it. I'm open to it. And if you've never received it, then that's a great challenge for you. At least once a year, position your heart to say, God, if you want to give it to me, I want to receive it. Be open. How do we receive the baptism? Two more thoughts. Everything we receive as Christians is by faith. Everything. So it takes faith. In Acts 2-4, the Spirit gives the utterance but the disciples, by faith, had to speak out the words. So it takes a step of faith on our part, too, to begin to pray out to God and to begin to lift up our voice and receive.
And then here's, here's the last thought on how to receive the baptism. This is so important. Have a heart for people. Have a heart for the lost. Have your heart broken by people who don't know Jesus, who are, who are, who are gonna spend eternity apart from God. Have your heart broken for them. Why? Because then you'll start to live on mission. And when you start to live on mission, I believe God's gonna say, you need power. You need power. Here, here's one of the things I've always thought. Why do you need the baptism in the Holy Spirit if you're not being a witness? Why do you need to speak in tongues if you're not speaking in English to your friends about their need for Jesus? Why do you need this? Why do you need the power if there's actually no purpose in your life? I don't say that to heap guilt on you because I'm sure some of you are living out the mission of God and you maybe haven't received the baptism. That's fine. Again, that's God's, he's sovereign. He chooses, he does things when and how he wants. I'm not saying one necessarily means the other, but I am saying this. Don't go looking for power if you're not ready for the purpose. Don't go looking to tap into something if you don't realize Jesus said, I want to give you power so that you can be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. So I want to pray this morning. We're ending just a little bit early so we can create some time for prayer. And if you come forward for prayer this morning, you're not coming forward saying, I want to speak in tongues. That's the wrong reason. You're coming forward saying, I need the Holy Spirit to help me live on mission. I need the power of God to be a witness for Jesus. And so just a moment, I'm going to invite you forward and I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to do what they did in the book of Acts. I'm going to lay my hands on your shoulder and I'm not going to pray long because we don't need to pray long. I'm not going to try to make something happen. You don't need to try to make something happen. I'm not going to talk you into anything. Here's all I'm going to pray. God, give them power. Give them power for your mission. Give them power for your purpose. Fill them with your spirit so that you might use them for your glory and for your honor. And if that's your heart, I want to pray for you this morning. I promise you, it's not going to be uh, a hyped up, worked up environment. It's just going to be, let's pray for the spirit of God. And let's see what Jesus wants to do. Maybe Jesus wants to baptize someone this morning in his spirit. But we trust him with it. Let's bow our heads together.